You're tuned into More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Saturday, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. As you, you listen to News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and, you know, if you're in Generation X, so Gen X, if you're born between 1965 and 1980, you're getting closer to retirement. Now, you might be, you know, five to seven years out. You might be 20 years out. But you might be starting to think about how you transition into retirement. You know, it's a huge move in so many ways. Not only does that require you to reimagine how your daily life works, it also requires that you take a critical look at your finances to understand how to execute and maintain a retirement lifestyle. You might have many years under your belt of contributing to a 401k, maybe a health savings account, knowing that someday it will pay off in retirement, but how exactly will it do that? When saving for retirement, it can be more straightforward. Make sure you save, invest well, and adjust along the way to protect your wealth in terms of that goal and to, and to grow your wealth enough so that you can retire and, and be able to draw income from your investments that beat inflation. But having a funded retirement account is one thing, Using it properly for retirement is an entirely different game, and you've heard me say many times over the years, the plan that gets you to retirement is not the plan that will get you through retirement. You'll realize that when it comes time to properly fund your own retirement, the right decisions can only be made with proper knowledge of financial tools and strategies, as well as solid recognition of your own unique financial situation and goals. So that's why on today's show, we'll cover the t- key aspects of these issues. So we'll talk about retirement accounts and the risk of ignoring them specifically, how to replace the benefits of a pension. You know, most of us, Gen, I'm a Gen X. I was born in 1969. Most Gen Xers don't have pension plans. It's becoming more the exception to, than the rule, whereas baby boomers, it was maybe especially the top half of the baby boomers, it was more the rule than the exception. So how do you replace the benefits of a pension? We'll also talk about starting early on health care planning. <clears throat> so let's dive into retirement accounts and the risk of ignoring them. You know, if you've contributed to an IRA, 401k, or other defined contribution plan, I'm going to come back to that word, to save for your retirement, you've likely invested in assets with exposure to the stock market. Now, before we get too far into that, that isn't totally bad because the stock market has many benefits, 
especially in terms of long-term asset growth. It's the single best asset class historically that has beaten inflation over a long period of time, um, especially when you're many years away from retirement. But it doesn't come without its drawbacks. Now let's just let's just talk a little bit about. I mentioned the phrase defined contribution plans. Um, that's what a 401k, a 403b, a 457, that's what these plans are. In other words, it's a defined contribution. You're contributing money. Your employer may match, and many times your employer will match some level of contribution. So they're adding some money in as well. But then that money is yours, and you're picking investments and you're invested in the market. Uh, now there may be a vesting schedule, there usually is with a 401k, you may have to participate for five or six years before the employer contributions are truly considered yours if you were to leave your company. But you're defining your contribution to the plan. How much are you going to put in, how much is the employer matching, and then you're controlling the investment pool. Now, by contrast, a defined benefit plan is structured more around the benefits you'll receive in retirement. This is what a pension plan is. And we just don't see many of these anymore. Very rarely in private industry do we see private pension plans. In a private pension plan, the employer is setting aside money, and they're totally in control of the investment pool, and then... That pension plan is going to fund you with income for the rest of your life. So they're very, very different. The defined benefit plan is putting most, if not all, of the onus on the employer and how they manage those pension funds and how they fund it. A defined contribution plan is putting the onus much, much more on you. That can be a good thing. It can be a challenging thing. So let's talk about the defined contribution plans. IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, of course, they have annual contribution limits that can change each year. 401ks and company plans have a much higher contribution level. You know, in an IRA, you can put in up to $6,500. If you're 50 or up, you can do up to $7,500 in 2023. But for a 401k, you can put in $22,500. And if you're age 50 or up, you can put in $30,000. And the biggest advantage of defined contribution plans is they allow you some tax benefits. Let's call them tax goodies. Now, there's two different major kinds, of course. There's the traditional, and then there's the Roth. Okay, in a traditional 401k or IRA, you put in your contribution, your portion is deducted from your taxable income. So if you make $100,000, you put in $10,000, you're taxed on $90,000 for federal income tax, not on $100,000. So it doesn't actually cost you $10,000 to put that money in your 401k because you're saving taxes. So, you know, your, your net take-home pay doesn't go by, down by $10,000 or by, yeah, $10,000. It may go down by $7,500 or $8,000 or something like that. 
um, a Roth, you are not getting the tax deduction. So if you put in $10,000, your, your take-home pay will go down by that $10,000. So you can put, you know, you, you can in your budget, you can actually put more in a 401k than you can uh, uh, in a traditional than a Roth, uh, all things being the same. Now, if you're able to do the maximum, you're effectively be putting more money in for retirement if you do the Roth. You know, if you can put in $30,000, $30,000 in a Roth is worth more than $30,000 in a traditional 401k. Because in retirement, or, or upon distribution, of course, those, four, those traditional accounts are taxed. So you get a tax benefit on the front end, but you have to pay tax on the back end. On a Roth, you get no tax benefit on the front end but you do get a tax benefit on the back end. But for the most part, on a traditional 401k, you're, you can afford to put more money in. Now, I don't want to get too complicated on traditional versus Roth, but I think it is important that we dive into that. All right, so in this next segment, we're going to divide into, I think Roths are great things. I do think they are tremendously oversold. Now, I do think most people, don't get me wrong, Roth 401k and Roth IRA planning should be part of your planning, probably. But it's not as much of a slam dunk as you may think. So when we come back, I'm going to get into Roth versus traditional, and we'll also get into how... Um, you replace the benefits of a pension. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in this morning to Brogan, to more, excuse me, more living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan. We're with you every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. and again from 3 to 4 p.m. Also, check us out online, BroganFinancial.com. We just have a plethora of information, content, so you can be informed and make prudent decisions that can impact the quality of your life. Now, we're talking today about Generation X, those of you who are between maybe six or seven years to retirement, maybe 20 years to retirement, and how do you think about that transition and maximizing retirement accounts and using them properly. And in this segment, I want to get a little bit more into the difference in Roth and traditional. First off, you know, when you look at, as I kind of explained on a traditional 401k, your monies go in and you get a tax deduction on that. So, you know, if you want to put in 10000 it doesn't cost you 10000 because you don't have to pay tax on that 10000 So for the same amount of money, you can actually put in more than 10000 than you could into a Roth because you, you do not get the tax deduction. Now, both of these types of accounts grow 
and as they're growing, they're not being taxed. And this is really one of the key parts of the benefits of retirement accounts. Uh, you're getting a tax benefit either on the front end in a traditional 401k or on the back end with a Roth, plus you're getting growth without having to worry about income taxes. So in other words, you have your monies invested in your IRA or your 401k or your 403b, but you're not getting a 1099 every year. Whereas if you have an investment account that's not a retirement account, you know, if there are dividends or capital gain distributions or interest, any type of taxable distributions that happen or taxable income that happens in that account, you, you get a 1099 and have to pay tax on it. So it creates what we call a tax drag on the investment itself. Retirement accounts don't have that, IRA, 401k, 403b, etc., that is one of the really biggest key issues and advantages of using one of these types of retirement accounts. So that's the biggest thing. Until you are max funding, and this is, I really want to be clear on this, because there are, you know, other programs out there that say, hey, use this program instead of your, your 401k or use that program. You know, uh, the most common would be max fund a life insurance policy. And I'm not saying there can't sometimes be benefits to that, but the bottom line is until you are max funding your retirement accounts, anything I've ever looked at in, in terms of running projections and all those kinds of things, the, the, the max funded retirement accounts are the best way to accumulate wealth. Now, there are some strings attached. You know, you can't get the money before you're 59 and a half. With, there are some exceptions to that. But for the most part, you cannot get money pre-59 and a half without a tax penalty. So they do come with strings attached. And then, of course, at age 73 or 75, before, depending on when you were born, you've got to start taking these distributions from your traditional IRA and 401k. You do not have to do that from your Roth. Bottom line, retirement accounts are the single best way to accumulate wealth. You just have to understand you're not going to have access, for the most part, you're not really going to access that money until you're 60. Now, what about Roth versus traditional? As I said, for the most part, if you're, if you're contributing to a traditional 401k, you can put more money in for the same budget as if you contribute to a Roth because you save on income taxes. So then what we've got to look at is, well, what's your tax rate when you put that money in and what's your tax rate when you take that money out? And that's what determines whether or not in the end does the Roth come out better than the traditional. And the answer is your tax rate when you take money out for the Roth to be the better thing your tax rate when you take the money out should be higher than when you put your money in. Well, for you Gen Xers and, and even your you uh, younger baby boomers that aren't retired yet, you know, your last 10 years of earnings are usually your highest income years. And, you know, if you're making a six-figure income, you're probably going to see a decrease in, in taxable retirement income when you retire especially in that sweet spot 
that I call it a sweet spot between retirement age and age 73 or 75 when you have those required minimum distributions. You really have an opportunity to live in a lower tax bracket. But the point of that is, in your last few years of working, that may not be the best time to look at doing Roth because your tax bracket is higher. And Roth comes out ahead when your tax bracket is lower going in than it is when you come out. Now then, we've also got to factor in what are tax rates going to be like in the future. You know, we've got this huge debt ceiling crisis going on in Washington. I've been talking about it for several months on this program that, you know, we were going to, you know, we ended up hit, we're hitting it a little quicker. Right, the, 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 the government's running out of money a little quicker than they thought. They thought it'd be maybe late June, early July. It's now going to be the first of June. But the bottom line is we have huge debt. Our, we have huge deficit spending and our debt is growing. And we have huge unfunded liabilities for Social Security and especially for Medicare in the future. So how likely is it taxes are going to be higher in the future? Well, actually, unless there's a new act of Congress, they will be higher in the future because in 2026, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act expires. And we go back to the rates from 2017. So we do know that we're getting a tax increase in two and a half years. The question is, beyond that, are we likely to see more tax increases? Now, uh, by the way, I don't want to get into this politically. I mean, I know, you know, Republicans are saying if they're elected in 2024, they'll, they'll try to make the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act permanent. I'm just telling you what's on the books right now. And we don't know where we're going to be going into 2025 with Congress and with the White House. But, you know... We've got to consider the tax exposure both now and in the future when we evaluate things like Roth versus traditional. But I want to be clear. If your tax rate is lower when you take money out than when you put money in, the traditional IRA or 401k is better than the Roth. And that makes sense, right? We're getting a tax deduction when you're in your 50s and 60s and your income is high, and then when you take it out in retirement, your income tax would hopefully be lower. That's not always the case. But then we got to factor in tax brackets and where's the future and all that. So it's a little bit of a moving target for sure. Uh, now, I, as I mentioned in the last segment, if you can max fund your retirement, which for if you're 50 and up is $30,000 into your 401k, and if you're under 50, it's $22,500. If you can max fund that, then the Roth contribution is you are basically putting in more money than into the traditional. And that is a factor to consider. because Especially, I would say, if you're in, say, a 22 or a 24% tax bracket. You know, the 24% tax bracket for joint filers goes well up over 350000 And for a single filer, goes up over 175,000. Um, you know, this year, the next two years, with the current tax system, you may want to max fund that Roth. Because again, 30,000 in a tax-free account is worth more than 30,000 in a taxable account. 
So if you can afford to max fund a Roth, uh, I would not be a fan of you doing it in a 32% bracket more than likely. But a 22 or 24% bracket, I'd probably be a fan of that. Now, of course, everybody's situation is different. There can be exceptions on both sides of that. But I hope, you know, I'm trying to dial this down to be kind of simple. And I hope what you're getting from this is that the traditional versus Roth argument is not as simple as it sounds on the surface, as I've, I'm hoping you're kind of getting that. The only way to know is to do a really good analysis. Now, there are also some inconsistencies with the rules. So, for example, if you make too much money, you cannot contribute money, new money, to a Roth IRA. I mentioned that the contribution limit is 6500 If you're 50 or up, it's 7500 a year. But if you make too much money, you cannot do that. And just to give you an idea, for a, for a married couple, that's over a little over $200,000. When I say how much is too much money. And for a single filer, it would be about half that. But on a Roth 401k, there is no contribution, there is no income limit. So you could make a million dollars a year and still put money into a Roth 401k. So that's an inconsistency. Another inconsistency is you can do Roth conversion regardless of your income. So if you have money that's already in an IRA, you can convert it to a Roth, pay the tax now, and then be tax-free after five years, and you have to be at least 59 and a half to not have a penalty. But you can do that regardless of your income. So you cannot, you know, if you make a good bit of income, if you're above the income thresholds I mentioned, you cannot add money to a new Roth IRA contribution, but you can do Roth conversion. So there are, I don't want to call them loopholes. You know, Congress wrote these laws. They're very, very well aware that they exist. The IRS has actually issued rulings and notices on some of these kind of loopholes and that they're fine to take advantage of them. The bottom line is, this is a very uh, complex discussion that comes down to tax planning. Okay, so the tax planning piece is very important when you look at the, the, the difference in a traditional and a, and a Roth. Now then, the second thing I want to mention about funding your own defined contribution plan, which is that IRA or 401k or 403b, what happens if you never adjust, adjust the investment holdings as you approach retirement? Remember, in a defined contribution plan, you are in control of that investment portfolio. You and or your employer is adding money. After five or six years, you'll be vested in the employer contributions, but you're in control of how that money is invested. I mean, one of the disadvantages of a company plan like a 401k is you have very limited investment choices. As a rule, an IRA is a much better uh, platform to invest in because, you know, in the right kind of IRA, a no-load brokerage IRA, you've got unlimited, almost unlimited investment choices. In a 401k, you typically have 10 or 15, maybe 20 investment choices, and that's it. But many retirement savers contribute to their retirement accounts without question, However, when it comes to adjust those investments, your investment strategy should too as you get closer to retirement. But many people don't 
do that. They don't rebalance. They don't, as they get closer to retirement, adjust their portfolio to be more consistent with their objectives and their goals and their desired outcomes. So if you never touch that investment strategy and are approaching retirement, you could be taking on too much risk. That could be investment risk where you're taking on too much downside risk in a market downturn, it could be inflation risk. You've got too much money protected in things like stable value. You don't have enough growth potential. So those things have to continually be assessed. And how often do you look at that? You should be looking at that every year. I don't think you should be necessarily pulling it up every day and looking at it. I think it's a good idea to pull it up every month and see what's going on. But don't worry too much about it, especially if you're 12 to 15 years to retirement. But as you start getting closer, you should start shifting some of that investment to be consistent with your goals in retirement. So that is critically important. When, we're, when we come back, I'm going to get into pensions. Most Gen Xers do not have pensions, especially private employees. How can you replace the benefits of a pension? Because a pension provides guaranteed income for life. So how do you take your life savings and invest with an eye to having steady, dependable, and increasing income in retirement? Stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. We're with you every Saturday, 9 to 10 a.m. and again, 3 to 4 p.m. right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Today, we're talking about if you're Generation X, so you're, say, 5 to 20 years to retirement, what do you need to be thinking about? And we're talking a lot about retirement accounts. And let's, let's talk about pensions. You know, pensions are not nearly as common anymore, especially in private employers. And they have qualities of steady income generation, much like Social Security. So they're rarely offered by employers anymore, so you don't have that guaranteed income. It used to be you had, we called it a three-legged stool of retirement income. You had Social Security, you had a guaranteed pension, and then you had funding income with your own investments. Well, one of those legs of the stool has, for most of us, has been removed. We no longer have that pension that provides steady guaranteed income. So how do you emulate that? How do you replace that in your income plan if you don't have a pension? So what is a pension and how does it work first? You know, a pension is a retirement plan that does provide a regular stream of income to retirees. It's typically offered by employers as a form of employee benefits offering. 
remember I call this a defined benefit plan, and the employer is managing and controlling it. Pensions are based on a formula that typically considers an employee's number of years of service and their earnings history that determines what your income is when you retire. The employer is responsible for managing the investments, the employer is, and ensuring that there is enough money in the pension to fund the payout of benefits. And that's a critical element of pensions. That's why we're not seeing as many, because the onus is on the employer. And as you know, many pensions have failed. So the employers are transferring the onus of that retirement to you. Once you retire and claim your pension benefits, if you do have a pension, the pension can provide you with a reliable source of income as long as the institution offering the pension is solvent and can afford to do it. So it can help supplement Social Security benefits and personal savings. Now, they're not without risks. As I mentioned, there have been cases where pension funds have become unfunded, leading to either reduced benefits or even the failure of the pension plan. Now, the fact that fewer employers have pensions, if you don't have a pension, what does that mean for you? It means you don't have that second leg on the three-legged stool, Social Security, pension, and investment withdrawals from your, your life savings. So now it's just, for many of you, it's Social Security and withdrawals from your investment. So it puts more of an onus on your own uh, management. Now, hopefully, as I discussed earlier in the show, you're building up your retirement accounts because that is meant to be a substitute for the pension, but the onus is on you. So it shifts, it shifts the investment risk from the employer to you. Instead of the company obliging to pay a set level of income regardless of the financial outcome of the pot of money, you are responsible for the financial standing of your retirement savings and future income source. So this helps employers more easily, easily afford retirement savings benefits with things like 401k and 403b. However, it eliminates the guaranteed steady income aspect. You know, on a 401k, you have to rely on, you have to have a strategy to withdraw without overdrawing your account. You could run out of money. And th these oftentimes depend on the asset performance in your portfolio and the investment and withdrawal strategies you employ, which are always not regular. Because it's not regular, it can't be counted on every month to cover your costs. So how do you replace the benefits of a pension? This underscores the importance of an income plan. That as you start to get within 12 and 10 and 8 years of retirement, you start to shift how your monies are invested. And as you know, if you've listened to my show over the years, I'm a big fan of segmenting your money based on the two ways we can save and invest money. And that is to save and invest for protection, where we either have guaranteed principal or we have stability of principal. Now, if there's a guarantee, you've got to look at who's backing the guarantee. So for protection or for potential for growth, that's the market. So two things come into play here. In retirement, we want to live on certainty. We want to have enough in that safe, protected bucket 
to provide income for several years so we're not dependent on the stock market. You know, one of the fundamental elements of investing in the market is you've got to have time horizon on your side, meaning you, you don't have to, you don't, you're not going to need the money next year or the year after or even the year after that. And on investments that take risk, I, the minimum is five to seven or even eight years. So you need guaranteed stable holding or stable holdings to draw from in the early years of retirement. So when you get within 12, 10, 8 years of retirement, you should start thinking about this and start making adjustments to your investment plan to structure income in the early years of retirement. Okay? It also makes diversification of your risk investments even more critical. You just don't want to be in nothing but the stock market because you don't have the kind of time on your side to recover from market losses that you need based on history. If history is our, is our teacher. You know, you need, if you're just fully in the stock market, you really need a 12 to 15 year investment horizon where you're confident you're not going to touch that money for 12 to 15 years. So you need more diversification. That goes back to looking at the money as you approach to retirement and you get older. Are you addressing the balance of investments in your 401k or 403b or IRA? So that becomes critically important. Now, one other thing that can provide uh, stable income is income annuities. And these these have become more and more popular over the years. A lot of times when people hear the word annuity, they think of a pension type annuity, which works kind of like a pension. You give an insurance company a lump sum, and then they pay you an income that's guaranteed for life because they're an insurance company. If you live longer, you get tremendous payoffs for that. If you live shorter, the insurance company benefits. There are ways to add uh, features to the income to make sure you'd get all your money back if that's important. However, in a pension type annuity, you give up control of your principal. You know, to use round numbers, if you put $100,000 into a, a, into a pension type annuity, uh, in other words, an annuity that pays income for life, you can't turn around in five years and say, give me my money back that I have left. You, you can't do that. The insurance company is going to manage that. They now, the onus is on them. Remember how we talked about on pension plans, the onus is on the employer to manage that. Same thing with, with an insurance company, it's on the insurance company. What have become more popular is deferred annuities with an income benefit. In other words, to keep things kind of simple for today, you have an annuity that is, you're in control of the money. It's not, you know, you're, if you cash it in, it's yours. There might be a penalty. But if you cash it in, it's yours. When you pass away, whatever's left in there typically would go to the beneficiary. Again, look and see, would there be a penalty involved? Uh, but they're deferred. So when you hear the word deferred annuity, a good way to think about that is control. It's your money. You have control of that money. Okay, it is not, you're in control of it, not the insurance company or not the pension plan to draw a parallel. Well, People like to typically be in control of their money. 
And so what's happened is a lot of these insurance companies have come up with products over the years that allow you to maintain the control, but, but allow you to have the guaranteed income feature that you get with a pension type annuity, a payout annuity. So you're still in control. The money you have left still goes to your beneficiaries at death. You could still cash it in in the future. Now, there might be a penalty depending on how long you've had it. But you're in control of that money, but you still get the guarantee of income no matter how long you live. The biggest thing I want to say about this is that there, on the one hand, there are benefits to guaranteed income for life. There's no question. But there's a cost for that, right? There's not a free lunch. So if you want guaranteed income for life, at some point, there's going to be a cost for that guarantee. Now, who's going to bear the cost? If it's set up properly, your estate or your beneficiaries would bear the cost because they'd get less money. You know, you, in these types of things, these types of products, you typically don't bear the cost unless you cash it in. But if you draw the guaranteed income, typically the cost is going to be borne by not having as much money when you die. Some people don't care about that. All right. But however, some people, you know, I have some people come into me and they'll say, hey, so and so across the street is selling me this uh, income annuity. Well, there's a cost for the guarantees and they don't need the guarantee. You know, if you're if you've got a million dollars and you're only needing to draw 10 or 15 or maybe 20,000 a year from that million. You know, that's a one to two percent withdrawal rate. You don't need to be paying for guarantees. You might say, well, Jim, I'm not concerned with what I have left. And so you'd consider that, but you don't need to be paying for the cost of those guarantees. So, you know, there are benefits. Some people are very anti-income annuity. There can be benefits. If you need a healthy income from your life savings, you're closer to three and a half or four or four and a half percent withdrawal rate. There's no question they can provide you with more income certainty in retirement. Just realize that there is a cost for that. And more than likely, your estate, your beneficiaries, will bear that cost. So again, it's a complex kind of topic. How do you replace a pension with an income plan? What is the best way to come up with that income plan? That's going to depend on your own income needs, your goals, how much money you have, and, and, and how much does estate planning factor in? How much legacy do you want to leave to your kids and your grandkids? Now, when we come back for our final statement, we're going to talk about starting early on health care planning and go, go through some of the key areas that you need to be aware of with health care planning. For those of you that are more Generation X, if you're born before, between 1965 and 1980, so you're maybe seven or eight years to retirement or maybe 20 years, what do you need to be thinking about health care? So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. 
This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, check out all our resources online. Go to brokenfinancial.com and click on resources. Uh, we've got also got you click on our blog. We're always putting out content that provides you with great information so you can make informed decisions. So, you know, subscribe to our e-newsletter. That'd be one of the best things you could do. We put out an electronic newsletter once a week, every Wednesday, and what it does is provide you with links to content that we generate on a regular basis about income planning, about 401ks, about, you know, we, we, we have one coming out on uh, target date retirement funds, which are so popular within the 401ks and 403bs. We, then we get into legal documents and tax planning. So that's a great way to stay on top of the content we're generating. So, again, you can stay informed. I'm sure we'll be having more in the coming two weeks on the debt ceiling crisis. Uh, be sure to tune in Monday morning at 9 o'clock. I'll be visiting with Phil Williams right here on News Talk uh, to talk about one that certainly the debt ceiling is one of the issues we will be talking about. So be sure to check that out Monday at 9 a.m. Let's talk about planning for health care and that transition into retirement for those of you that haven't thought a lot about it or you know just starting to think about it because you're generation x you know with life stands increasing in most cases you may look forward to staying healthy for longer than in previous uh, uh, generations but that doesn't come without work staying active and seeking healthier diets is one of the main reasons people tend to live longer also healthcare technology. But there is a monetary cost. The earlier you start planning and investing in your own health, the cheaper it will be to maintain your quality of life in your later years. Now, of course, the primary source of health funding once we're retired is Medicare. You can go on Medicare at age 65. And in this show, I don't have time to go into all the ins and outs of Medicare. That really deserves almost its own show. But the bottom line is Medicare, uh, you know, you've got, in, in terms of your costs for health care, there's two factors there. There's the premiums you pay for essentially insurance. It switches to Medicare uh, at age 65. But there's the premium you pay. And then there's the utilization cost. How much are you going to the doctor and the hospital and having lab work and blood work and, and diagnostic procedures done, utilization cost. Typically on Medicare, when you have Part A, which is hospitalization, you have Part B, which is doctors and everything else, outpatient, and then you have Part D for drugs, and then usually you'll get either a Medicare supplement, supplement or Medicare Advantage plan that fills in the holes. When you do that, your premium costs end up making up the majority of your Medicare costs, but then there are still utilization costs. But just be aware, most people on Medicare, their costs are a higher percentage as premium paid rather than utilization costs, whereas when you're in your working years, it may be different. Now, when you retire, the average 65-year-old, if you're in pretty good health, maybe you're on, on a couple of medications, you're not Superman, but you're not, you know, you don't have a serious health condition, Usually going to send about five to six thousand dollars a year all in for both premium and utilization costs. But if you have a lot of health issues, you're probably going to spend about double that, ten to twenty, ten to twelve thousand dollars per year per person. 
Now let's go back to that. If you're just in reasonably good health, you got a couple things going on, but nothing, nothing real serious, then, you know, if it's five to 6,000 a year per person at 65, usually by the time you get into your 80s, it's going to be about double that. It will be about, you know, it's going to double because then that's because of utilization costs. So just have, just remember, you know, people will say, oh, you're going to spend over $300,000 on medic, medical costs in retirement. You don't have to fund that all at, when you retire. You, that's something that should be built into your income plan. But medical costs is a huge factor in retirement planning. And even if you're planning on slowing down spending as you age, your medical utilization will probably increase and offset those savings. So it's very important, again, the income plan of how you deal for medical costs. Thank you for tuning in this week. We've discussed issues for Generation X and what you need to be thinking about as you start to consider and ponder the transition into retirement, whether that's in seven or eight years or in 20 years. So we've discussed your wealth because greater wealth provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Many thanks to Riley for engineering the board. Thanks to Jill for helping produce the show. Have a very blessed weekend as you listen to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.